Carlsbad. People, purpose, and impact. An essential podcast for those who live, work, visit, and play in Carlsbad. Good morning and welcome everyone. My name is Brett Schonsenbach. I'm the president and CEO of the Carlsbad Chamber of Commerce, and I am your host today. And I'm pleased to have with me Ann Middleton. Ann is the executive director at Equal Life Conservation. Good morning, Ann. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, Brad. It's great to be here. Good to have you. Thank you. So I, I always go and do a little bit of background searching and, and uh, research, etc. And I noticed that you're originally from Montana. You are correct. Yes. My wife is from Montana. Where are you from? Oh, no way. Uh, Billings, Montana. Okay. Kind of, awesome. Uh, in the middle, rodeo yeah. town. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, great place. My wife's from Great Falls, a little farther north. My sister lives there. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, up until my wife and I have been married a long time, 32 years, and up until about three years ago, her parents were still there. So we always, you know, when was that next trip that we were going to be going back? And they moved three years ago um, to be near family in Texas. And so now it's like sad. We don't like have a built-in reason or plan to go back oh, to Montana. No. You know? Oh, yes. To- going back to Montana is very important for my mental and physical health. I try yeah. to go at least once a year. It's beautiful. It is. So beautiful. And we've been to Glacier. We've camped in Glacier a couple times and stuff like that. Awesome. So. But you have an interesting journey, uh, you know, started in Montana, but it, it says that you came to San Diego from Cameroon. Correct. So, so yes. Yeah, so, share with us. Yeah. Well, I, I will start off by saying that growing up in Montana is probably what led me to a career in environmental conservation. Oh, uh, yeah. Growing up, I thought that going camping in Yellowstone, going hiking in Glacier was normal. And everybody yeah. got to do these things and hang out with bears and bison and open space. And it wasn't until I was probably in my 20s when I realized how uh, gift, what a gift that was yeah. that I got to grow up with that. And I hope that everyone gets to experience that kind of thing. So I'm working hard to protect those areas right. so that we can do all of that. So, yeah, it was a, a roundabout journey, but I did live in Cameroon just prior to living here in San Diego. I worked for Taylor Guitars, yeah. who's based in El Cajon, which is kind of how we ended up here. Um, my master's degree is in environmental policy, and I had a background in international wood trade, which is okay. kind of a niche market, mm-hmm. kind of nerdy thing. But uh, I was Very working, niche. yeah, I was working for an organization that helped basically indict Gibson guitars for illegal logging of ebony and rosewood in Madagascar. Oh my goodness! Yes. So uh, Taylor Guitars, of course, got wind of this, and they said, "Hey, we want to be on the right side of this thing. What do we mm. do?" to clean up our own supply chains. And they ended up buying a sawmill in Cameroon in order to vertically integrate one of their most legally and biologically problematic species, ebony wood, which is the black piece that goes on the fingerboard. Okay. And uh, they asked me if I would help get it up and running. And so I I did my best. I lived there for a couple of years, had an amazing, amazing time, great adventures. Uh, But when my contract was up for a renewal. I said, you know, I think I'm ready to go back to Come the United back. States. Yeah. And my brother lives here. He's in the okay. Navy. So I got to know San Diego and thought, you know what? I'm going to stay here. This nice. is a pretty great place to be. That's interesting, though. So you went from like this enforcement side to helping somebody set it up properly. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, so that's kind of cool. Yeah. I think that uh, 
you know, some environmentalists and environmental groups get a bad rap for being either tree huggers or uh, enforcers or chaining yourself to things and being anti-industry. Right. And I really feel strongly that in order for us all to succeed and to live healthily in our environment and with our environment, that the, the private sector needs support and help to not only follow the environment, environmental regulations that are in place, but to also be, be forward thinking. So I think that any company that either has internal teams that are working on sustainability or collaborate with groups that are working on sustainability and environmental initiatives we all just need to support each other because we're right. working toward the same thing, right? Yeah. We all want clean air, clean water, right. affordable resources, biological diversity, and a healthy planet for ourselves and for future generations. Future generations, exactly. Oh, that's wonderful. So, all right, so you landed here in San Diego, um, your brother's connections, and then I don't know how long it was before you got connected to Ecolife. Was it quickly at that point or was it there other steps in your journey yeah actually so um when i found out i was moving i decided to move back to san diego still living in cameroon and i was looking for organizations that did international conservation work and there really are only a handful here Um, of course the the zoo is a big one and so i reached out to bill toon who is the founder of eco life former executive director and turns out he had done a lot of research in Madagascar, the same area that we were working on with the Gibson case. Yeah. And we met it for coffee and hit it off right away. They were hiring an operations director at the time. I applied for the job and didn't get it because mm. I didn't speak Spanish, uh, <laughs> which makes sense because half the work that Ecolife does sure. is in Mexico. So I thought, okay, shoot, I guess I better learn Spanish. So I'm still trying to learn Spanish, not fluent yet, but um, I, I was taking Spanish classes and did a few other jobs here in town, and their operations person left for the Bay Area. And so Bill called me and said, hey, I know you have a job, but I uh, thought you might be interested in this position. And I said, well, yes, I am. And actually, I'm, I'm learning Spanish as well, so <laughs> sign me up. And that was about five years ago. Okay. Very cool. Let's. I wanted to bring in the mission statement of EcoLife, and it says, "You guys, uh, your mission is to protect wildlife, natural resources, and the people who depend on them, helping humans and nature prosper together." That's a really beautiful mission statement, and it kind of goes back to what you were saying about working together. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I love how it connects natural resources. And people. So talk about that a little bit. Yeah, sure. I think that uh, historically, and we're talking way back, you know, even 50, 100 years, environmentalism has been people versus nature. Or in order to protect our natural environment, that means get the people out. And there are enough people on this planet that that doesn't make sense anymore. But Mm. also, due to climate change and other things, there are no fully natural environments on the planet mm. anymore. So it doesn't behoove us to think of nature and and civilization, for lack of a better term, uh, separately. As enemies or, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, furthermore, combatants. exactly. Furthermore, there are so many uh, indigenous groups still around the world who live within ecosystems sustainably, and they have rights to these lands. Sure. And kicking them out not only poses socioeconomic problems in the area, but 
when people have coexisted and co-evolved for so long with ecosystems, uh, why not let that continue? And um, when people understand the uh, important relationships between humans and the environment and foster those and develop those, it can it, it produces results that are good for the biological diversity and for the communities. And I think envir- the environmental movement is beginning to understand that more and more. And eco-life conservation was founded on that principle, really, right. that, that humans and nature must uh, prosper together. They, they, ha- they must have a synergistic relationship, and we have to bake in community buy-in and support around these, these environmental problems we're trying to solve. Otherwise, white Western conservationists might walk away from a project and it falls apart. Right. So um, we take a humanitarian uh, approach to any conservation problem that we're trying to solve. And I think that's critical to true sustainability. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. I love that. We're going to take a quick pause. We're talking with Ann Middleton, the executive director at Ecolife Conservation. When we come back, we're going to talk about some of the specific programs that they have at Ecolife. We'll be right back. So, Anne, we were just getting into the mission of Ecolife and your amazing mission statement, but I'd love to pivot now and talk about how you bring that mission to life. And you guys have some really cool programs that I'd love for you to share. And you mentioned earlier that um, when you were doing some research in San Diego, before you came to Ecolife, you were looking for a a group that had um, international connections and international footprint and work. And so... And I know some of these programs do have that. And the one that I would love to start with is your stove uh, project. You want to share about that? Sure, sure. So we uh, we have two major program areas, um, both of which focus on changing the way we grow, cook, and distribute food to make it more sustainable, mm. healthy, and equitable. And the first of those programs, as you mentioned, is our our stove program. And you may wonder, what do, what do stoves have to do with the environment? So... Three billion people around the world still cook over open fires. Three billion. Mostly inside their homes. So if you can imagine billion. having your wife cook dinner over a campfire inside your house. Your kids might think it's fun at first, but... Right. For a it, week, it might yeah. be a novel, but, <laughs> but holy cow. It makes a mess. You've got soot all over the place. It... Uh, it poses tons of human health problems. Yeah. They the, could fall into the fire, breathing in the, the smoke. Breathing in the... Yeah. In addition, on the environmental side... They're extremely, oops, they're extremely inefficient. Uh, mm. They use a lot of fuel wood, and that comes from forests, right? Yeah, so, right. So we build stoves that are uh, culturally appropriate. They're designed in Mexico by Mexicans. Our whole stove program is in Mexico. They're trackable. They're traceable. They're cool to the touch so kids don't get burned. Right. And they use up to 60% less fuel wood. Wow. So we are able to go into communities and say, would you like a stove that uh, is safer, it's cheaper because you're not paying for fuel wood, and your kitchen's cleaner, and it allows you more time in the day because you're not collecting firewood? So most mothers are going to say, sign, sign me, me up. up. Exactly. Where, where, where do I sign up? <laughs> exactly. And then from on the environmental side of things, uh, it's almost an ancillary benefit that they they use so much less fuel wood. And we work specifically in the Monarch Butterfly Biosphere Reserve oh. in central Mexico. 
where the monarch butterflies migrate for the winter. So we're protecting that forest from further deforestation so that the butterflies can actually survive in the winter. Wonderful. Yeah. Protecting their ecosystem by providing a a reason to not need to cut it down. Exactly. Exactly. That's powerful. And so how long has that program been going? And how many stoves have you guys put out into the world, so to speak? We've been doing this since about 2013. We really started ramping up in 2017. And I think we just built our 11,000th stove in the last couple of months. Our goal is to build about 50,000. And that would enable us to completely surround the reserve with a 15-kilometer buffer zone so that uh, the people and the forests are protected. Keep that ecosystem for the monarch butterflies intact. Oh, that's wonderful. Okay, so you have your stove program, and then um, talk about your sustainable agriculture program. Yeah, so so we uh, also tackle sustainable ag because um, agriculture is one of the main drivers of habitat loss. Mm. We're clear-cutting Uh, land all across the planet for ranching and for growing food. And so people need to eat, right? Right. And we're going to keep having babies, I'm guessing. So that means we're going to have to figure out a multitude of ways to feed ourselves more efficiently. Right. And with aquaponics, aquaponics is a soilless agriculture in a recirculating system. Have you you heard of hydroponics before? Okay. So it's Plants where the roots are submerged in water, but with aquaponics, you also have an aquaculture component. So there's a fish tank on the side. So the fish poop essentially uh, provides nutrients for the plants. Right. And then the plants clean the water and take it back to the fish. So we can grow protein and produce in a recirculating system with 90% less water and space. Yep. And in a place like Southern California... Highly valuable. Yeah, where we import a good chunk of our water. We're going through droughts very consistently. Yes. Being able to grow food with less water is going to be critical to our economy as well, right? Is it scalable? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so we have in Escondido, we have a small farm where we have two greenhouses and a mobile system that we just built that's effectively a farm in a box. And um, we're not the only ones doing aquaponics right. by any means. There are there are a lot of great industrial-sized right. aquaponic farms all across the United States. But what we would like to do is is bring it to people who don't have access to fresh produce and especially sustainably grown fresh produce. So we just designed what we're calling our Mark system. It's a mobile aquaponics response kit, and it's a aquaponics farm that fits in a shipping container. And can be sent virtually anywhere in the world. It runs on solar power and will have rainwater catchment so that you can grow food either in urban food deserts or refugee camps or other places where people don't have access to arable land. So it's a totally self-contained unit. It's ready Mm -hmm. to go. Yep. Yep. That's amazing. So we're really excited about that. We're act- actively seeking partners for our next unit, which we hope will be in San Diego County. Wow. That is that is great. And I know you've actually developed like a, a module of this program for schools. Mm-hmm. Yes, we have. It's called the, the EcoCycle. Yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah. We, it's it's um, kind of a, 
a desktop aquaponics system that fits on top of a 20 gallon fish tank so that kids can learn about STEM concepts or fish biology or nutrition or climate change. It comes with um, a certified K through 12 curriculum. So no matter the grade, there's something applicable to everyone. That's fantastic. Just to kind of stimulate thought for our future farmers. And have some of our schools in Carlsbad uh, brought this in? Yes, absolutely. Actually, we got some some funding from the Norton Corporation a couple of years back to Wonderful. put kits in, in Carlsbad Unified. And uh, we're always looking for new partners there, yeah. too. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, so I also heard through you directly uh, not so long ago that you guys are moving your corporate headquarters here to Carlsbad soon. We are. And we're so excited about that, Brett. I think that uh, through through the Chamber of Commerce, of which we've been a member for a couple of years right. now, um, we've just found that there's a lot of really interesting companies here in Carlsbad who are also looking to give back and get mm. more connected in their communities. Sure. And we've been in Escondido since our founding in 2008. Uh, Bill lives there, so it makes sure. sense. Our farm is there. But most of our employees now live in Carlsbad as uh, well. It's a beautiful community. Yeah. So we thought, you know what? I think now that our lease is up and we're downsizing because we're doing a mostly hybrid schedule now. Right. Uh, why not be in Carlsbad? Nice. So hopefully we'll see you more. Yeah. Yeah, I even heard rumors that we might be hosting one of our education committee meetings at your space in the new year sometime. Yes, some I hope so. Yeah. That would be really great. That's awesome. And uh, hopefully that we'll do a ribbon cutting and the whole nine yards whenever the time is appropriate. We will let you know. That's awesome. If somebody is hearing about you for the first time and they're like, wow, this is this is amazing and um, I want to learn more, what would be the proper website or place for them to start? Absolutely. Our website is www.ecolifeconservation.org. That's E-C-O-L-I-F-E conservation.org. And we're on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn. And I love just chatting with people one-on-one. So if anyone wants to email me, my email address is a Middleton, like Kate Middleton, at ecolifeconservation.org. Awesome. And I assume, you know, all this stuff takes money and funds. And so like anybody else, you, I would assume that you're looking for more funding partners and opportunities. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys have any um, events throughout the year that help you fundraise specifically? We do. Actually, last weekend, we just had our annual gala okay. and it was a ton of fun. Uh, we raised about $350,000. Excellent. And our next... Uh, big gala will be in October of next year at the Scripps Aquarium. So oh, we're looking fantastic. forward to that. But throughout the year, we have happy hours. Uh, we have fundraising campaigns, of course. Anyone can donate at any time directly on our website, and it's tax deductible. So uh, we are always, always looking for people who want to support us. Absolutely. And this is the that um, end-of-year time frame where people are looking for, mm-hmm. you know, places to to give a little to relieve tax issues for themselves. So you guys would be great for that. So ecolifeconservation.org? Yes. Ecolifeconservation.org. So wonderful. Did we miss anything? I don't think so. I'm just, uh, again, we're really looking forward to being part of the Carlsbad community. And if you care about the future of the planet, uh, think about supporting us. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for taking time to come down this morning and share with us some We're excited to have you guys. Well, 
We were blessed to know you and have you as a member for a couple years, but now you're going to be part of us in the city itself,、yes. so it's going to be great. I'm really looking forward to it. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Brett. Thanks for joining us on our Carlsbad People, Purpose, and Impact podcast today. If you enjoyed it, please hit the follow button on wherever you get your audio, and please tell a friend. We would love to hear your feedback, which you can share at carlsbadpodcast.com. You can leave us a review. Ask a question or leave an audio comment, which we can play on the show in the future. And that's all we have for today. Can't wait to see you next time on Carlsbad People, Purpose, and Impact. And remember, share some kindness today. It's free, creates goodwill, and makes you feel great.